This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Your Radio Doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on Your Radio Doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Millions of Americans are losing their medical assistance or Medicaid coverage. If this affects you, Independence Blue Cross can help. You may be eligible to enroll in a health plan for as little as $0 a month. With Independence Blue Cross, you get the largest provider network in the area, including most Keystone First doctors and hospitals. We also offer free 24-7 telemedicine, coverage for hospital stays and prescriptions. See if you qualify for $0 health insurance and enroll today. Call Independence Blue Cross at 1-844-464-2583 or visit ibx.com slash stay covered. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Saturday afternoon at 5. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or ten months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good afternoon and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Today is Veterans Day, when we pause to honor the military veterans of the U.S. Armed Forces. World War I formally ended at the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month of 1918 when the armistice with Germany went into effect. Armistice Day was renamed Veterans Day in 1954. In honor of our veterans, our focus today is on a brilliant program which unites the efforts of Cooper University Healthcare in Camden, New Jersey with the Army, called Army Military Civilian Trauma Team Training, or AMCT3. Military medical personnel will be embedded at Cooper to gain exposure to critical care of more severe trauma and surgical patients than they typically experience in the military treatment facility. And it's part of the Army's plan to maximize battlefield readiness to treat our servicemen and women around the globe. Cooper is the only level one trauma center for all of South Jersey and is one of the busiest trauma centers in that region. With its high volume of trauma and expertise in surgical and critical care, Cooper provides a wide range of military, diplomatic, and field affairs training programs and is the only hospital in the U.S. that has elite medical providers from every branch of the U.S. military, local and federal agencies, and international partners. Here to explain more about the program are two of America's finest. Both of today's guests are colonels in the Army and both are board-certified trauma surgeons. We begin with our friend, Colonel Dr. Kirby Gross. He's board-certified in both general surgery and critical care surgery. Now, we talk about sacrifice. Colonel Dr. Kirby Gross was in a very busy practice as a general surgeon in his home state of Indiana, but when our country was attacked on September 11th, he answered the call to serve, and at the age of 48, he joined the Army. Nine deployments later, including Afghanistan, with time at Walter Reed and San Antonio Military Medical Centers, we are very fortunate to have him here right at Cooper. Welcome, Colonel. 
First and foremost, thank you for serving. Thank you, Marianne. So let's start, if we could, with a little background. How did the idea of AMCT3, or partnering with the military and civilian uh, training, how did that come about? Well, actually, the partnering between our military and uh, civilian institutions is not a real new concept. It's actually something which has been uh, executed uh, for decades. In fact, if we think back to the period of World War II, uh, the uh, um, these military-civilian partnerships existed back then. For example, here at uh, Cooper Hospital, the 61st Field Hospital was made up of uh, doctors, nurses, and medics who were in the U.S. Army Reserves, and they deployed in World War II. They deployed in uh, 1942. They supported U.S. forces in Northern Africa, and uh, uh, then were relocated to uh, southern Italy, and uh, there they supported the United States Army Air Force and uh, the efforts, uh, uh, the air war over uh, Europe in World War II. They re redeployed then in 1945. Now, the experience here at Cooper back in World War II was similar to other locations. For example, many academic centers also sent uh, their members uh, to deploy and provide care. Now, the partnering between the military and the civilian uh, worlds, it uh, waned a bit uh, over the Vietnam era. And uh, the, the partnering between uh, military worlds and civilian worlds uh, for various reasons was not quite so robust. But then with uh, Desert Storm and uh, Desert Shield back in 1991, it was recognized there was a need for this partnering between the uh, military and the civilian worlds. And uh, in uh, Desert Storm, Desert Shield, fortunately, the ground war only lasted for about 100 hours. But it was identified by trauma experts that uh, there was truly a lack of readiness among the, uh, the military health system providers who were deployed. This was specifically identified by uh, Don, Colonel Don Trunkey, who served uh, uh, as a reservist, who was also in a civilian role, the uh, chief of trauma at Oregon Health Sciences University in, in Oregon. And uh, he recognized that uh, only about one out of every 20 combat medics before deployment to Desert Storm, Desert Shield, had actually even seen a trauma patient. Wow. And uh, of course, this was uh, uh, one metric for our medics, but that same numbers could be reported by the nurses as well as the uh, physician and surgeon providers. Well, uh, Dr. Trunkey was uh, very, uh, uh, he was a surgeon. He was, uh, he felt that uh, the uh, mission of the military to be ready, and readiness is our primary obligation in the Department of Defense for all forces to deploy, whether warfighter or healthcare provider. And uh, his uh, effort to inform senior national leadership uh, was was identified. Actually, he testified before Congress. He felt that uh, there could be things which could be done better to prepare our uh, 
our military health service providers. And with that uh, clamoring, the uh, uh, General Accounting Office, basically inspector generals of the government, uh, looked into the issue, and they concurred with uh, uh, Dr. Trunke that uh, there needed to be better readiness. And this was not just an issue in the Army, but also identified in the Navy and the Air Force as well. And there were efforts to then establish some formal partnerships between military providers and civilian institutions. One uh, known effort happened at, uh, in Houston, Texas, where Army, Navy, and Air Force providers worked with a uh, hospital in Houston uh, at the Joint uh, Trauma Training Center. Well, that uh, effort uh, uh, got off the ground, and then uh, for various reasons, administratively and others, uh, broke apart. But the uh, various services then went on to different uh, institutions within the states. For example, uh, the Navy then partnered with University of Southern California in Los Angeles, where they sent providers, their entire surgical teams, surgeons, nurses, and medics, the Army then partnered with University of Miami at Ryder Trauma Center, and uh, uh, teams were sent there for uh, maintenance of their uh, trauma skills. And Air Force also partnered with uh, uh, several institutions, including University of Maryland, Baltimore Shock Trauma, uh, University of Cincinnati, as well as uh, St. Louis University. And these efforts were uh, met with some good success. However, it was uh, recognized not uh, the majority of uh, providers who were deployed would really not be able to ex have this uh, specific training experience. But with the, ad with the onset of the global war on, war on terrorism in 2001, the providers were deploying and actually would become, they would get up to speed in trauma mm -hmm. management very readily. And part of the pre-deployment training was being sent to these various centers, various services. But uh, it wasn't a real issue to emphasize how important these MILSIV partners were, partnerships were, until 2009, 2010, 2011, when the operational tempo decreased. And uh, mm -hmm. as the operational tempo decreased, that maintenance of readiness by being deployed, those experiences uh, were being were not quite as uh, robust, and so some of those uh, skills were not as readily maintained. So it was uh, apparent to maintain this high level of readiness. And by the way, the outcomes for combat casualty care that uh, we're seeing the improvements in combat casualty care uh, with uh, the global war on, war on terrorism were significantly improved. The case fatality rate dropped significantly from the onset of the global war on, war on terrorism, which is about 17% down to less than 10%. So naturally, these uh, gains in combat casualty care outcomes had been identified. The goal was to maintain them. And so it was recognized that, uh, fortunately, the operational tempo, the number of casualties in a the theater of operation decreased. So it was important to maintain these skills. So uh, the uh, senior trauma leadership of, uh, of each service advocated to their various services to expand these military-civilian uh, partnerships. 
and uh, uh, senior leaders were informed. Also, our elected uh, national representatives were informed of the uh, benefits. And so in 2017, the National Defense Authorization Act identified the importance and established that more military-civilian partnerships be established. And the significance of the National Defense Authorization Act, that is, the federal budget, that meant there was money. That meant there was a national effort, a will, which is being financially supported to establish these. So that's the program which uh, uh, in 2017 was, uh, was signed into law. And the Army military civilian trauma team training programs uh, were uh, were uh, came to um, development, uh, and one of those uh, such programs was here at Cooper University Hospital in Camden, New Jersey. The Army has also partnered with several other uh, academic sites throughout the state, not only here at Cooper University Hospital, but University of Chicago, uh, Oregon Health Sciences University. Uh, Vanderbilt University, uh, Medical College of Wisconsin, and uh, they're all similar in that uh, the uh, group of providers who would be providing trauma care in the deployed environment have a chance to maintain their skills. Not only surgeons, anesthesia providers, nurses, as well as medics. As the medics too, because depending who gets to the site first, and so you say it so beautifully and so logically, and now that it's here, we look back and say, why did it take so long? But there's a timeline to everything and it evolved and, and it's it's spectacular what you're doing. And I know, um, as you mentioned, once it became sort of emblazoned in 2017, that it's a national, it's recognized nationally with the National Defense Authorization Act, your job in implementing it is going to be a lot easier. Um, and Cooper, what a what better place to bring it all together, the military and civilian um, partners than at Cooper. Now, uh, in the next segments, we're going to be talking to your colleague, Colonel Dr. John Chavanez. How did you meet? We have about two minutes left. I, I love for our listeners to understand how you came to work together. Well, uh, uh, Colonel Chavanez is, uh, as you mentioned, a trauma surgeon colleague, and we actually met in a theater of operations in Afghanistan. We met uh, originally, I think, 2012, then uh, during one of our, we were not deployed together. We just happened to run across mm -hmm. each other. And then we ran mm -hmm. across each other again. And we kept running into each other in, in theater. And uh, and uh, Dr. Shavanas uh, would describe the experience he has at uh, Cooper University Hospital and the very robust uh, clinical experience. He also mentioned that Cooper University Hospital had a leadership team, which was uh, very innovative and forward-leaning. And uh, he felt that uh, the, the, uh, the institution would be very happy to support uh, military providers. You know, Colonel Chavanas identified also that uh, there are other federal agencies that would benefit from ongoing clinical training. And uh, he also, uh, in addition to informing me and identifying to me as a senior uh, military surgeon the uh, uh, benefits Cooper had to offer, he also was able to link with federal, other federal agencies, including Department of State, who uh, identified the need for their uh, operational providers 
medics, PAs, physicians, who uh, fortunately rarely need to provide trauma skills in theater, need to maintain their readiness as well. So he was establishing programs with other federal agencies as well. Sure. And I loved, we had a wonderful conversation the other day, Colonel, when you talked about um, the military is the perfect example. We wear uniforms because we are all in this together. We have a common mission. And the mission is to bring people together regardless of of differences in religion or ethnicity. And your mission is to keep people healthy on the battlefield. And as you say, uh, Department of State, people that are embassies and have massive casualties or they're attacked, those people have to be ready as well. So we're going to hear more from your uh, colleague, Colonel Shivanas, and bring you back at the end of the show. So I thank you so much. And we're going to take a little break and be back to hear more about the Army's military civilian training program. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Mary Ann Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. At Independence Blue Cross, we believe in giving you the tools you need to pursue your healthiest life. From premiums as low as $0 per month to health discounts and cash rewards, it pays to have coverage with Independence. With the strongest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free 24-7 virtual doctor visits, you can feel confident that quality care is always within reach. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert, caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24-7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID-19. Call now at 1-888-RECOVERY. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. And welcome back to your radio doctor. We are so proud of our military and our veterans today on Veterans Day. And we just heard from Colonel Dr. Kirby Gross. And now we'll hear from his colleague, Colonel Dr. John Chavanis. He's chief military surgeon, and he's also a trauma surgeon at Cooper University Health. He's also an associate professor of surgery at Cooper Medical School at Rowan University the founding medical director of Cooper's section on military, diplomatic, and field affairs. And we're going to revisit that in itself. Aside from all that, he was meant to be where he is right now because he was one of the youngest EMTs ever in the state of Pennsylvania. He's been a paramedic. He was an RN in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. He was a flight paramedic in the first medevac ever helicopter servicing Pennsylvania and New Jersey. It goes on. He's in the U.S. Army Reserve Medical Corps. He's done six tours of duty in Iraq, Afghanistan, Fallujah, and the medals, Army Commendation Medal for removing an unexploded grenade from a U.S. soldier. John, we could spend a whole show on just that. Uh, the U.S. Army Medal of Heroism in, for his work in 2001 for surgical care of a New Jersey police officer trapped in the basement of the World Trade Center. It's hard to say that without crying, really. And in 2017, recognized with the Veteran of Influence Award from the Philadelphia Business Journal. Wow. Welcome, Colonel Shivanis, and thank you for serving. Thank you, ma'am. Honored to be here. Well, John, you were instrumental in bringing this program to Cooper. 
Why Cooper? Uh, well, it's uh, it's a magical place. I think that the way the New Jersey trauma system works, we get receive a large number of seriously wounded. We're the only trauma center for all of South Jersey defined, only level one center for all of Southern New Jersey defined as 195 South. We have Trenton, excellent, level two. And we have oh. Atlantic City, level two, two good trauma centers, but we cover a large area. So we get a lot of patients, a lot of variety. So we get penetrating wounds and trauma. We break it down between penetrating and blunt. So gunshot wounds, stabbing. And then we also get the horrendous motor vehicle collisions and motorcycles and falls. And that pathology and our location and this hospital, I think when the U.S. military, and remember, all these are John Shabanis's opinion, not Cooper's, not the U.S. Army's. They're my opinion, so if you're angry, it's at me. But that uh, combination, and Cooper's been a trauma center for over 40 years, and I think when the U.S. military was looking for partners, we fit the bill on many ways when they did their criteria of the, the spreadsheets, what's good, what's bad. And I think also it shows the utility of a reserve trauma surgeon, whether I'm wearing my army hat or my Cooper hat, I can uh, speak both languages. And I think the army likes that uh, and that that allows them to know they have a trusted officer in a great institution. So it's seamless integration of military medical personnel in a civilian hospital. It's not seamless, but it lessens the chances of problems. But when you have a great colleague like Colonel Kirby Gross and uh -huh. the two of you with your, your different experiences, and I thought it was interesting. Again, we had a great conversation the other day. I learned so much from listening to you the geographies varied where, where you are because you have people who live on the shoreline, the Pine Barrens, uh, the farms, and then there, there's urban and some suburban. And all of those, like you say, penetration wounds can be from uh, a farm instrument or, right? Or somebody can hurt themselves with a lawnmower any place. But when you have that uh, variety of pathology as well as variety of trauma, anybody who trains with you will have looked back and said, seen that before for the most part. Yeah, 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 you nailed it. Uh, uh, you totally understand it, right. Uh, penetrating trauma is certainly not always violent, right? It's, it's sometimes, you know, I love chainsaws and it, it's a bad injury or a farm, uh, some type of uh, situation where you get impaled on something, you bet, uh, or an industrial accident. We have a lot of industry in New Jersey, and the variety of mm. this region is astounding. I have to tell you, I grew up in wonderful Pennsylvania uh, along City Avenue near St. Joe's, Ballakinwood. I love Pennsylvania. I never thought I would live in New Jersey. It's the best kept secret in the country. This is a, you know, I am, I'm in a farm in 20 minutes. Where have coyotes, yet I'm in a city and right now I'm looking over into Camden and across into Philadelphia. So the geography and the large number of people, but it's not that way in the whole state, right? Uh, just how North and South Jersey is different. South Jersey is different. So the concentration of people and the variety, like you said, Pine Barrens, we get it from everywhere and mm -hmm. we see a variety of injuries or pathology. And that also makes you have to, just like the battlefield, deal with whatever comes in 
your tent or your doors or whatever your right. aid station is. Well, Colonel, you said too that people should hear this pediatric trauma. Yeah. Because yeah. you could take your child to the nearest place, but if you're going to a place that specializes in it, hopefully um, uh, that's a huge thing for people to know too. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. Great point, ma'am. Um, we're blessed in uh, this area, the Mid-Atlantic, right? In New Jersey, we have some great hospitals. Of course, Cooper's the best, uh, but we have many other good ones. And uh, in Philadelphia, there's other great pediatric hospitals there and even Northern Delaware. And uh, Cooper's a pediatric trauma center. We're the only one that's both an adult and pediatric trauma center. That doesn't exist across the That's river. what I was emphasizing. Mm -hmm. we, so uh, when uh, a family gets in a motor vehicle collision and they're potentially injured, emergency services bring them here. And we can care for both the child, the mother, the dad. And that's a complex group of patients and sure. injury patterns. And that happens in the battlefield. As you see now, what's happening in the Middle East, frequently the children are the civilians, yeah. civilians and children. And mm. I think I learned to deal with seriously wounded children uh, in Afghanistan, you know, where they would pick up landmines. The Russians seeded a lot of that country with landmines that look like toys. I mean, isn't that an evil thing to do, right? I mean, you have to be some special kind of evil kook to seed a, 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 an area with explosive things that look like toys and the scourge of communism, let me tell you. And these children pick this up, they blow off an arm, and they need a good team to take care of them. And I, uh, I learned that in the U.S. military. So it's clear that your background, since uh, I don't, how young, how young were you when you were at EMT? Like sixteen or younger? No, I was younger. Uh, my mom would. Um, you were six. <laughs> yeah, my mom would drive me to Ludington Library in Bryn Mawr to yeah. sit on a Red Cross Standard First Aid at twelve, and then I started going to EMT school. I think at fourteen, thirteen or fourteen, the guys at the ambulance would drive me to Montgomery County Community College and uh, Montgomery County uh, Emergency Services put on this class at Monco. So I think I was 13 or 14. And um, yeah, I think I graduated at 14 and Narberth, and grew up in Narberth Ambulance in Lower Marion. Oh, we're good friends with Narberth Ambulance. We've had them on the show. I always count on them to come on and share. So it's in your blood is what you would say. In my blood. In your blood. To, my dad, <laughs> to my dad and mom, you know, I didn't go to Lower Marion High School. I went to Narberth Ambulance. That was my education. Oh, that was it. So how do you train the your soldiers? It's not... So you're training docs, nurses, medics. Let's we have about four minutes left in this segment. How do you train them as commandos and general army medics? Yeah, great question. We have six groups that we train. The one group is the embedded group, and that consists of trauma surgeons already trained who come to us to maintain their skills. That comes with nurses already trained. Uh, 68 whiskeys, the army number for what a trauma surgeon or what a uh, medic is, and. Uh, nurse anesthetists uh, mm. and they come here we also have a, a, a neurosurgeon from the army here and emergency medicine doctors from the army here so they are a team of nine always here embedded and ready to go at a moment so if the army needs them their skills are top notch next group are special forces combat medics out of fort bragg sockums they come here monthly and these are high speed high high energy low drag men and women 
Uh, we also then have enlisted soldiers from with, with, throughout the world who come here as scrub techs and OR, regular medics who ride on our ambulance. I also have an embedded active duty paramedic. So we have those. And then we go into our not other government agencies. The right. FBI sends their hostage rescue medics, State Department, and now Department of Homeland Security. So six big groups, but that's the Army on the front end are those three programs. We're very honored to have our nation's premier uh, soldiers, medical soldiers here. And that's what I wanted people to hear, that it's, it's military and then some. The diplomatic corps, the field affairs training, uh, because uh, – FBI, you know, they they run into hostage situations, or as right. we said, if an embassy is attacked, those people have to be ready too. We have about a minute and a half left. Who then owns the battle uh, battlefield trauma care? Oh, yeah, ma'am, great question. Uh, the right the. Is it the combatant commander, the, the, the infantry man or woman in charge of all that battle space, the air, the ground? Well, who sets up that system? Is it the Army Surgeon General? Brilliant. We have great Army Surgeon medical leaders. Uh, but who is really responsible? And it's an area that's sometimes not clear. We set up a great system, the Army looking at Afghanistan, 90, uh, 90 minutes to get to a surgeon with blood and an anesthetist. But it's sometimes unclear who's ultimately, it's ultimately the combatant commander. I mean, they're in charge of all the battle space. But the nuances of setting up a battlefield trauma system becomes a cooperative effort between the joint trauma systems of the Department of Defense, the uh, command surgeon for that battle space, and then ultimately the combatant commander. And they work together to figure out the best system to take, take care of the seriously wounded. You say it so well. Let's take a little break and we'll hear about this week's real champion. And when we return, more from Colonel Dr. John Chavanez. And now for your real champion, I call this segment George M. Clark Jr., a son of the American Revolution. Today is Veterans Day when we pause to honor the military veterans of the U.S. Armed Forces. World War I formally ended at the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month of 1918 when the armistice with Germany went into effect. Armistice Day was renamed to Veterans Day in 1954. George Millington Clark Jr. is a veteran. He answered the call to serve with six years in the United States Air Force from 1962 through 68. You might say the aspiration was in his blood. You see, George is the direct descendant of at least five people who participated in the American Revolutionary War. The conflict in which American Patriot forces under the command of George Washington defeated the British. The war began in April of 1775 and lasted through September of 1783. Eight long years of boots on the ground, local farmers and colonists who believed in the mission. As many as 2,000 troops in the Continental Army died from disease and malnutrition in the brutal winter at Valley Forge alone, fighting against professional British soldiers and finally resulting in the Treaty of Paris, recognizing the independence and sovereignty of the United States in 1783. George can trace his lineage back to five certified ancestors. Two were not gun carriers. 
One even signed a pledge not to bear arms. He was a farmer from Lancaster who helped the cause by giving food to the troops at Valley Forge. George could trace some relatives back to the 1500s and some who were in Virginia when it was first established. Evidence that connects George to these ancestors qualifies him to be a son of the American Revolution, a group that was started on April 30, 1889, the 100-year anniversary of the inauguration of George Washington as our nation's first president. There are tens of thousands of active members in over 550 chapters across the U.S. and internationally, all descendants of the Patriots who wintered in Valley Forge, signed the Declaration, and served in the Continental Congress. Men and women who pledged their lives, fortunes, and honor to battle for independence. Sons of the American Revolution, their mission? To promote patriotism and respect for our national symbols, the flag, the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence signed right here in our very own Philadelphia. They also strive to educate young people with the story of their ancestors who believed in man's struggle against tyranny, aiming to inspire future generations when they might have to defend and extend our freedoms. The members perform reenactments in classrooms, and George wears a Rev War uniform. They give awards to the best junior ROTC students in high schools, the best ROT students in area colleges. Fourth and fifth graders make posters. Middle schoolers research the declaration and create a trifold brochure. High school students can compete with essays or in oration contests. A student researches a narrow topic like how John and Abigail Adams work together, then has to speak for five minutes without notes. Another important project is to place flags on the graves of veterans in all of our counties. Each county commissioner buys U.S. flags. Some also buy medallions, which hold the flags off the ground. One of the cemeteries that George's Philadelphia chapter covers is at St. David's Episcopal Church in Wayne. The medallion that holds the flag varies. Some commemorate the Civil War, World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam. If you visit the cemetery on Old Eagle School Road, you can pick out the Revolutionary War Patriots because they have the Betsy Ross flag, the one with 13 stars. Each patriot has a unique story when you research them. George recounts the history of the Rev War as though he were there. He imagines his own ancestors, who were not trained soldiers, but bravely faced the Redcoats. Sons of the AR have traveling trunks with hats, garments, and items from the war. George has a precious preserved block of tea, which he takes to classrooms. Tea was not flakes in cans or in tea bags. It was pressed into cakes, and you shaved it off and put it into a pot. He discusses the religions of the colonists, like the Amish, God told them to stay home and do God's work, grow food. Students also learn about the Quakers' practices. Basically, anyone who wanted freedom was welcome to fight with Washington, all colors, religions, ethnicities. And it took until President Truman to build an army nearly as integrated as this one. The other big lesson? Ben Franklin became familiar with the seven tribes of Native Americans and watched them gather to decide what was best for them. From that observation came his idea for our colonies to become United States. 
George is also proud of his Scottish roots and sports a kilt as a drummer for the St. Andrews Society. As a son of the American Revolution, George has held several leadership positions, including chapter president, and still a leader at age 81. He's helping to plan their international convention for next July in Lancaster, PA, that will last for five days with members from around the world. George Millington Clark Jr. is a patriot. He loves his country, and like his ancestors, he was willing to dedicate six years of his youth and risk his own life to defend our freedom by joining the Air Force. We thank you for your service, and we salute you, George Clark, your real champion. A special thank you to all the veterans, past and present, who put the security of their country before their own needs and safety, including our outstanding guests today, Colonel Kirby Gross and Colonel John Chavanis, both trauma surgeons, both Army colonels. We're in awe of your work and bravery. You are all our real champions. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. Millions of Americans are losing their medical assistance or Medicaid coverage. If this affects you, Independence Blue Cross can help. You may be eligible to enroll in a health plan for as little as $0 a month. With Independence Blue Cross, you get the largest provider network in the area, including most Keystone First doctors and hospitals. We also offer free 24-7 telemedicine, coverage for hospital stays and prescriptions. See if you qualify for $0 health insurance and enroll today. Call Independence Blue Cross at 1-844-464-2583 or visit ibx.com slash stay covered. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, now Saturday afternoons at 5, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. Welcome back to Your Radio Doctor. We're here with Colonel Dr. John Chavanis from Cooper University. Um, Colonel, we've talked about um, the Army, the military, and civilian trauma training teams, and it's the partnership between the Army and a place like Cooper that is top shelf to begin with, but the only level one trauma center in all of South Jersey, which also includes pediatric trauma and a great variety of geography and pathology for for the military to learn because we want to maximize their readiness because we never know when somebody's going to knock knock on our door and invite us to a little battle. So the lessons learned, just as, as an example, severe hemorrhage. Let's talk about that. Right. Um, Stop the Bleed is the name of the campaign. And Stop the Bleed refers to um, the concept of how are you going to halt hemorrhage, right? How are you going to stop bleeding? And the American College of Surgeons, along with other groups, realized we need a public awareness campaign. In the old days, like we spoke about in the last segment, People learn first aid, a Red Cross, you should learn first aid or become an EMT. Everybody should know first aid and CPR. But also, do you know basics? If there's a serious wound, how are you gonna stop the bleeding? What is a serious wound? It's not a, a cut, uh, and not a cut where you need stitches. It's not a cut, uh, uh, you know, facial cut bleeds severely. It's none of those. You put pressure and you hold it hard and you catch your breath. It's a, a, a moon that gets into an artery or a partial amputation of your arm, not your finger, 
your arm or a gunshot wound into the artery in your uh, behind your knee. And that hemorrhage needs to be halted by, a, uh, a, if pressure doesn't work, a tourniquet. And you got to know how to put it on. You can't just take your belt and put it on. That doesn't work. Or tie a lace around it. Doesn't work. Sometimes makes it worse. So you learn. You have to take stop the bleed. You should have these. You got to be prepared. Gone are the days where you can rely on everybody else. A little self-reliance allows you to help others. And then we learned on the battlefield, we could save soldiers' lives by using tourniquets again that fell by the wayside after Vietnam. So so that's the whole idea, stop the bleed. Some other things we learned was if you lose blood, we give you blood. So resuscitation through transfusion. Uh, and don't get an IV for salt water, get an IV for blood. So everybody out there in your great audience, and Marianne, uh, donate blood and donate often. It'll save your life and everybody else's. We make so many good points. And uh, our friends at Norbeth Ambulance, and I know you're part of Norbeth Ambulance, teach people the Stop the Bleed program. So get it in your high schools. Do it in your office. If you really want to be, I, I love the way you say self-reliance because we all, you know, the new buzzwords on LinkedIn and all are empowered and everybody's a star, everybody's a leader. Be a leader and learn that if you're in a car accident and you're okay, but the, the passenger or you get out and somebody else, you might be able to save that person's life while you wait for the ambulance to get through the traffic or whatever. And um, I know Stop the Bleed, and it and we really desperately need blood transfusions. There was such a shortage with COVID. People didn't want to gather to donate. So the other um, important feature I wanted you to talk about, if you would, is FRSD or forward resuscitative surgical detachment. How does that work? Yes, along the lines of where we kind of started with where the injury occurs, stopping the bleeding to get the patient to somewhere. And in the battlefield, it's the battalion aid station, but ideally it's a unit that has surgeons and um, nurses and anesthesia and blood in it. So the operation to start uh, controlling of severe bleeding and injury can occur right away. The closer to the point of injury, uh, these small surgical teams get moved forward as the battlefield changes. And nowadays, it's not always clear where the line is. It's not like World War One or World War II where the line of conflict was. When you look at the Ukraine map, well, we kind of know where the line of conflict is. However, uh, it sometimes changes. And so putting surgical teams more forward to get wounded to someone who can halt the bleeding. Now, this is more than just tourniquet bleeding. Start getting blood on board, antibiotics, start lessening an injury getting worse or causing shock. Shock, remember, you know, the, the old days, everybody should have been taught about shock. There's different kinds, but bleeding shock, all those things we can stop earlier. So an FRSD, forward resuscitative surgical detachment with trauma surgeons, emergency medicine doctors, nurse anesthetists, nurses, uh, that is almost like a mini trauma center. And the army figured out the more we can have of these spread throughout the battlefield, Afghanistan and Iraq, statistically that's helped save unnecessary death. Stop. I was going to say, you made an important point earlier uh, when you said that 
Um, we're now giving blood. We used to give saline, yeah. super salty fluid to keep the blood pressure up. But if you're losing blood, we want to try to replace the blood with whole blood. Can't get that everywhere. But that was learned. It was studied by battlefield surgeons. That's why it's so wonderful that the Army and civilian partnership exists. Um, and as you say, shock and rapid bleeding because an artery has been uh, cut by a knife or uh, farm equipment or a gunshot wound you got to stop it very quickly because shock means we're going to lose all your organs and we only have so much time to do that. What would you say is the difference between an emergency department and a trauma unit? They're two different things. We're so fortunate that they're around the corner with you. Tell us about that if you would. Yes. Uh, in Throughout the Delaware Valley, we have a large number of trauma centers. That's good and that's bad. But in New Jersey, they set up the trauma centers, which have uh, – 24-7, every day, always at a ready, operating rooms that are staffed with a team, nobody coming in from home, a blood bank filled with blood, ready to go, protocols, knowledge, and procedures that are attuned to rapid delivery of rapid care, labs, imaging, but most importantly, they have the people, 24-7, a trauma surgeon, in-house, ready to go, doc residents, uh, anesthesiologists, well-trained trauma nurses, focusing on injury. These people in the old days, you'd call in from home. Dr. Smith, come on into the hospital. Those days are gone. Right now, if you hit the door right now, you have a team that can operate on you instantaneously. That is not the case everywhere. And emergency rooms, while great for the large number of minor injuries or serious medical problems, but even ERs you have to watch. If you're having a heart attack, can that ER get you to the cath lab right away? Mm, I'd check on that. I know what your resources are in your town, folks, because I want the best. I want somebody that can catheterize me, open my heart, and do everything like that. And a trauma center for injuries can do that. Emergency rooms are great for many problems, an isolated fracture, trouble breathing, it, but I want a place that can cover everything. So a robust emergency department, certainly not a standalone emergency department, urgent cares, they're great for minor things, but what's a minor thing? Well, that's another discussion. The trauma center has all the team ready to go 24-7. In New Jersey, we in southern New Jersey, we have three, Cooper, uh, uh, and then Atlantic City and Capital. In Pennsylvania, the five counties of Pennsylvania, there's a lot. I think it's up to 16. That's a lot of trauma centers, and you could debate until uh, the cows come home uh, how many is right for a community. Because... It dilutes the process? Correct. Uh, you get good when you do it a lot. And if you have too many people or too many trauma centers, then you're not becoming an expert. I think what the definition of expert, you have to do it like 10,000 hours. Well, for 4.5 million people, the greater Philadelphia area on the other side of the river, I think there's 16 trauma centers. For New Jersey, 195 South, about what, 2.6 million, there's three trauma centers. So mathematically, although you have world-class places over there, Penn, world-class, Jeff, Temple, there are a, a distribution of patients 
throughout. So is each hospital seeing the magnitude and the type of patients to maintain a proficiency? Are they good at what they do? Do they do it? And they are. They're world-class places. However, that's a lot of trauma centers. So where is the magic number? When you drive in a rural area, you want an ER, should it be a trauma center? Well, you hope if you're hurt, but how often are they seeing wounded? Which is the whole reason why the army moved patient, uh, uh, soldiers into Cooper. Because, hey, in certain trauma, in, in, in peacetime, in the military treatment facilities, they're not seeing any trauma. True. Uh, they're not seeing it, nothing, very minimal. So put them in places that are seeing it. Thank God they're not seeing a lot of it. That means we're in at least not a uh, uh, conflict that our troops are yeah. involved. Experience is the best teacher. Let's take a yes, little break and more when we return with Dr. Uh, Kirby Gross and Dr. John Chavanis, both Colonel to me. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24-7. Plus, with premiums as low as $0 per month, I can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check. Independence has given me coverage I can count on, and they'll do the same for you. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert, caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24-7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID-19. Call now at 1-888-RECOVERY. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. And welcome back to our final segment of Your Radio Doctor. We call this segment Your Willy Prescription. It has been such a joy to be in the company of Colonels Kirby Gross and John Chavanis, both superstars and men of service, my goodness, trauma surgeons. But to be in the military uh, is just such an incredible gift to our nation. And I can't thank you both enough for your service and all our men and women in the service. Do you have any parting messages, Colonel and Colonel? Yes. <laughs> Start with you, Kirby. Yeah, uh, thank you. Um, yes, uh, the uh, National Academy of Science, Engineering, and Medicine reviewed the experience of the uh, deployed military trauma system as well as the civilian trauma system in, in 2016. And they summarized their report. and. And the bottom line of their report was one nation, one trauma system. And that summarizes exactly the effort which is being conducted here at Cooper. We have military surgeons working alongside our civilian surgeons with a one common goal, and that is improving uh, care of the injured, whether that injured would be in a theater of operations at some point or here uh, at our uh, in New Jersey or throughout the states. And what brings people together is having a common mission. And so our military and civilian uh, care providers, we have that common mission. And uh, as a recently retired uh, uh, Army surgeon, uh, I would personally like to thank our colleagues here at Cooper and also the general 
uh, Camden community for the support they've shown to us. So uh, uh, very glad to be here and uh, uh, glad to have had this experience. The hospitality, the efforts, the uh, collaboration will certainly improve combat casualty care and theater of operations as well as here at Camden. Thank you. Thank you. And I guess you could say e pluribus unum. Out of many, yeah. one. Yes. Common mission. And from Colonel John Chavanez. Uh, the one thing uh, one doesn't want to do is follow Colonel Gross. Uh, <laughs> so uh, he uh, is an inspiration to us all, the most Army deployed combat surgeon there is. And he won't tell you that because his humility and ability is that's how he communicates. He just gets the job done and he leads from the front. And we have many wonderful men and women who lead from the front. And thank God Cooper uh, supports that. My bosses, our bosses here at Cooper and in the Army are getting it. Cooper getting it, Army getting it. How do we do it better? And that's a tough conversation. We always want to be better. So we're blessed to work in places in a country that I hope supports merit. Certainly Cooper and the Army does to do it right. And we can't do that without the support of our families to leave, to go forward, to leave your wife, your children, your friends, your colleagues is heart wrenching at times. And thank God we have people. Colonel Gross won 10 times. Those were 10 times I didn't have to go or other people didn't have to go. And so it's easy to talk, but when you walk out onto that airplane, uh, a long walk to that airplane, that's the loneliest moment in one's life in my experience. And it's the families on the front lines at home and your good friends and your other colleagues that carry the wagon or pull the wagon while you're overseas helping to achieve the mission. Well, uh, again, a very special thank you to my newfound friends, Colonel Kirby Gross and Colonel John Chavanis. The only colonel I knew before you guys was Colonel Sanders. And I would say... Uh, I'm much happier to be friends with you both, but such important messages to share with our listeners today. Please think to donate blood. There was a backlog because people weren't gathering during COVID. So important. So many people need blood. And I love your message of self-reliance. You don't know if you're going to witness a car accident because you're, you're involved in one, you're walking down the street, somebody falls. If you can get to Helping that person stop the bleed, another great course that you can take at Narberth Ambulance. Find out in your vicinity where you can take a course in CPR, stop the bleed. Because again, you could be at your child's basketball game. Do you know where the defibrillator is? And a special thank you to both of you for your service and to all the men and women of the military, past, present, and future. But a very special congratulations to Colonel Kirby Gross, who quietly retired three months ago from being deployed ever again, but is probably working harder than ever at Cooper and still being a partner with military and training our military and diplomats. So thank you for that. Anything you want to add to that, Colonel? Uh, just thank you. Uh, it's an honor to be here. It's an honor to serve in the United States Army. And it's an honor to be a member of the medical staff at Cooper University Hospital. Thank you. Well, thank you both. And God bless you both. And God bless America. Amen. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to your radio doctor every Saturday at 5 p.m. here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Listen to this show again or any of our shows on odyssey.com. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y.com. A special thank you to our exclusive sponsor, Independence Blue Cross, and for support from Recovery Centers of America. Please follow us and like us on social media. And now a very important message about a special opportunity for patients with acid reflux. Dr. Anthony Infantilino, a GI doctor at Cooper University Hospital, is inviting patients to join a study called SERVENT. It stands for Surveillance Versus Endoscopic Therapy for Barrett's Esophagus with Low-Grade Dysplasia. Let's break that down. Barrett's esophagus is a common condition in which the lining of the esophagus can become damaged by acid reflux. The damage can cause dysplasia, a precancerous change in the cells. This study looks at patients with known Barrett's esophagus and low-grade dysplasia, which is early changes of precancer. In some cases, patients have biopsies at regular intervals to see if the low-grade dysplasia becomes more abnormal or high-grade, which increases the risk of cancer. In other cases, the tissue in the esophagus with these changes is removed or burned during a procedure with an upper GI endoscope. This study will compare the two options, either repeating biopsies on a schedule or removing the damaged tissue to see which is safer and a more effective way to prevent the early changes from progressing to cancer. You can participate in this study at no cost to you. Patients who have Barrett's esophagus with low-grade dysplasia, Dr. Anthony Infantilino at the MD Anderson Cancer Center at Cooper University, call 856-642-2133. Dr. Anthony Infantilino at Cooper, 856 856- 642-2133. Please remember to pray for peace in our world, our country, our cities, our families, and in our own hearts. This is your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, wishing you a happy, healthy, and safe week with the ones you love, and always here to remind you that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show as well as past shows, visit yourradiodoctor.com. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Millions of Americans are losing their medical assistance or Medicaid coverage. If this affects you, Independence Blue Cross can help. You may be eligible to enroll in a health plan for as little as $0 a month. With Independence Blue Cross, you get the largest provider network in the area, including most Keystone First doctors and hospitals. We also offer free 24-7 telemedicine, coverage for hospital stays and prescriptions. See if you qualify for $0 health insurance and enroll today. Call Independence Blue Cross at 1-844-464-2583 or visit ibx.com slash stay covered.